you know, the two tips that I can give to people as they're aging is to eat more protein and do not just heavy. It's not just about, you know, going in and, you know, doing like a one rep max. It's about the lightweight, but with explosive reps, you know, for, for building power, which is going to target those fast twitch muscle fibers. Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barbend.com. Today, we have what is my favorite episode. I'm just going to come out and say it. My favorite episode from 2022, and it's with Dr. Jim Stepani, who is just an endless wealth of information when it comes to health, fitness, building muscle, anti-aging, you name it. He has some experience with it and a lot of great actionable advice. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode for the Barbed Podcast. But until then, I hope you enjoyed the holidays and enjoy, again, what I'll say it is my favorite episode from 2022. Looking forward to bringing you new content starting next week. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. It seems like everything that can be done in fitness, you do or you touch in some capacity. But one thing I just want to dive right on into, it's something I've seen you talk about a lot. It's something that we've worked on some content collaboratively with uh, Generation Iron and Barbend on. Let's talk about some training misconceptions. Sure. For your average gym goer who's looking to build muscle, maybe get a little stronger, improve their physique and their quality of life through resistance training. I'm not talking about the elite, elite, elite here right now. We can get into that in a bit. What are some of the most common misconceptions you think that just have stuck around the space? Well, there's always that, you know, should I lift weights or do cardio if I want to lose weight? You know, and and the answer is lift weights. And in fact, uh, what's really interesting is, you know, as a scientist, I've been attending uh, American College of Sports Medicine, I've been aware of, uh, you know, their sort of guidelines. And it's really interesting because going back when I was a student going to ACSM, the guidelines were all about cardio. They were all about cardio. All, so it's, you know, the misconceptions aren't, you know, aren't the, 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 the people who want to do the, the work and get the results. It's not their fault. It's sort of the misconceptions that, that have been put out there by other experts. So many, uh, so many misconceptions with the cardio, but back to the ACSM, you know, finally, if you look at their guidelines now, it's, it's flipped. Now their guidelines are all about resistance training. You know, it used to be nothing. Then they sort of peppered it in and they would say, you know, oh, and you should also in, consider doing some resistance training. That was about the, you know, the gist of their guidelines. Now it's all about, you know, uh, purposeful guidelines on resistance training because we know how critical it is for all aspects, you know, and, and really I'll say well, one person's name, Joe Weider, mm. uh, where I, you know, where I sort of uh, started uh, cut my teeth. Uh, he, he, you know, back in the, the, back in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, he was the one saying someday, someday scientists and doctors will finally give weight training its due. And I know I've kind of gone on a rant here, but getting to the sort of fat loss, uh, thing, but it's really, if you want to lose, if you want to lose weight, obviously we're talking about body fat and trying to maintain or build uh, muscle at the same time. So we're talking about weight, we're talking about body fat, but if you really want to maximize your fat loss, it's with resistance training. Of course, cardio is important for 
you know, keeping, uh, especially if you're doing high intensity interval training, keeping your metabolic rate up, but so do they, I mean, weight training is high intensity interval training when you really think about it. You know what I mean? You, you do something intense, then you take a small break. Then you do something intense and you take a small break. And then you do something, you know, that's how our sets and rep schemes go. So really weightlifting is high intensity <laughs> interval training in a way, uh, but oftentimes the intervals are, are, are quite long. But really, you know, that misconception about should I do cardio or should I do, and I still get it. I still get it everywhere on TikTok on, you know, that, that question comes through from P and again, not their fault, you know, because they've been misled. Should I do cardio or should I, well, do both, but please lift weights, you know, not only just for the weight, the fat loss benefit, but the health benefit, the bone density, decreasing sarcopenia and older, you know, which is muscle loss and, and, and older individuals. There's only one way to do that. And that's with lifting something heavy and that's a relative term, right? So, but, but when we get to the fat loss, if we really look at resistance training and, and the types of splits, we, we are sort of we look right at whole body training, you know, where you do a full body workout as, and again, I'm kind of maybe answering some questions that you can. <laughs> I love it. You're, you're making my job easy. You're saving me time at the end of this podcast. It's great. <laughs> but really when you talk about uh, resistance training and for maximizing fat loss, a full body program seems to be the best one because when you think about it, what are you doing? You're activating all those muscle fibers in the body versus say, just coming in and activating chest, right? And then that whole recovery process that has to take place is a calorie consuming process. So when you're recovering the majority of your muscle groups after a workout, you're burning more calories the rest of the day. And, you know, and, and so I, I, I'll say it over and over again, if you really want to maximize your fat loss with weight training, uh, full body uh, training is the way to go. I have to put that in the check column against international chess today i hate to i hate to say it <laughs> that has a time and a place but for i think the majority of the general population you know that the traditional single body part split isn't going to maximize their time in the gym right if you're a professional bodybuilder well, i well, mean yeah it depends on your goal right i mean yeah obviously. If your goal is to build a giant chest, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> but which here's the question. Which day? Is it Monday? Should Monday be International Chest Day so, or should we move it? You know, and I just I just did a video on that. And it's like, what do you do as your first if you do it if for bodybuilders? This was a question I put out there. And I answered it obviously in the same video, but what do you do, uh, for myself, at least there was no real answer, correct answer here, but, um, as long as your answer has a reason, you know, I put out there, what muscle group, and you, if you do a split, if you do, you know, a, a typical bodybuilding split, whether it's a, you know, four day or five day or three day, what do you train first? Is it legs or chest? And a lot of bodybuilders would do legs to, you know, so they don't skip it. And while they're, you know, sort of freshest and strongest, right. I, for myself, and again, I'm recovering from massive leg surgery. So my leg day is mainly a, uh, a rehab day. So, you know, it's not like I'm, but still even, you know, even back in the day when I was, you know, squatting six, 700 pounds on my leg days, I would typically do chest first as a bodybuilder. Again, this is when I was competing you know, NPC bodybuilding. I would do chest first in the week, possibly with other, another muscle group, but typically because when you're training chest, right, you're, you're incorporating triceps, you're incorporating shoulders. Those are involved in, you know, all your other upper body movements. So 
if you came in and did arms first, then your chest would suffer. If you did shoulders first, you're, you know what I'm saying? And so what I do is I like getting that chest day in there to get it out of the way. You could put a leg day in there. That's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong, but then you're, when you put your chest day, you have less time for recovery of the upper bodies. I like to also use that leg day as a recovery day for if I came in and did chest, right? I don't want to do shoulders the next day because I already taxed the shoulders. So the leg day kind of is a nice uh, rest day for the upper body. And then you come back, you, you see what I'm saying? So, and again, there's no answer here. There's, a, <laughs> there's no correct answer as long as, you know, you give me, and that's sort of the, what the question I put out there is tell me, you know, what, how, this is how I do it for bodybuilding splits. Um, but how do you do it? Well, I mean, that's, that's part of the fun of it, right? Is figuring exactly. out like the customization and the personalization. That's a never, that's the never ending endless. story of training. It's endless. Seriously. It is en endless. Let's talk a little bit about, you talked about some of the anti-aging effects of resistance training, sure. fighting, uh, muscle wasting, right? I hate the term. I hate the term bulletproofing your body because like there is no such thing as a bulletproof body. You know, think things happen. You're just, you just underwent, you know, and are recovering from major leg surgery. Like it doesn't matter what you do. No one is completely immune to massive injuries. Maybe unless you're LeBron James, the dude's a robot. But beyond that, let's talk about what you suggest and what your research and your work has shown uh, regarding the anti-aging effects, quote unquote, anti-aging effects of resistance sure. training um, on an aging population. Of course. And, and, and you know, I'll remind everyone I'm 54, so I know uh, this area well personally. <laughs> but yes, there is no sort of anti-aging. <laughs> There's no stopping it, you know, like. Right. You know, it's unfortunate to to younger to tell this to younger people that, you know, you're you're going to get old. I mean, it it that's just it happens. You know, there's no way to prevent the systems in the body after years and years and decades of exposure to all types of uh, toxins and you know sunlight. You know, I mean, sunlight is great. You know, we need sunlight, but also you know after years and years of exposure, you know, it starts taking its toll. And, but we don't have to just sort of give up. And, you know, that's really what it's about. It's just not, you know, giving up. And it's sort of like that, you know, sort of aging gracefully, if you will. It's, it's really about preventing the decline. The decline's going to happen. There's no way, there's no way to, to prevent the, the decline, right? Um, from happening, you're going to, you're going to lose muscle mass, you know, and, and literally, I mean, I, I, you know, at 54, that's what I'm fighting all the time because as we get older, and I know I'm again, talking a lot of different topics here, our ability to, uh, you know, jack up muscle protein synthesis goes down. So, you know, like how old are you in your twenties, late twenties? Uh, that's so nice of you to say, I am definitely on the other side of 30, but I, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I'm honored. Sure. But, uh, but on the younger side, compared to, I mean, you're 20 years younger than I am, right? So if you eat, you know, 30, 40 grams of protein, your muscle protein synthesis is going to shoot through the roof. If I do that same thing, mine won't spike quite as much. So it takes far more protein to get the same response in an older individual. So older individuals, A, need to eat more protein. And B, the other thing is like, it doesn't have to be, or it shouldn't be, we think about old, and again, I, you know, when we think about old, I'm talking about 70 or 80 year olds here. They don't have to, like, we don't have to be, you know, they don't have to work out gingerly if you did, you know, like 
explosive training is one of the best things for for sarcopenia, the muscle wasting that you get with aging, because it's primarily the fast twitch muscle fibers that you lose, which are the ones that are, you know, the, the, the fastest, the, the strongest, the most powerful. Those are what really give us those, you know, normal, uh, the quality of life, the ability to move and pick up things. And you know what I mean? As you lose that, that quality of life goes down. So, you know, the two tips that I can give to people as they're aging is to eat more protein and do not just heavy. It's not just about, you know, going in and, you know, doing like a one rep max. It's about the lightweight, but with explosive reps, you know, for, for building power, which is going to target those fast twitch muscle fibers. We'll get back to that in just a second. But before we do, a quick shout out to today's episode sponsor, Coulter Dillon, makers of custom cut and sewn t-shirts, perfect for you. If you want that perfect fit every time, you've got to check out Coulter Dillon. They personalize the fit. They have tons of color options. You can even personalize the artwork. Don't settle for less. Get that perfect fit every time for a fraction of the cost you might expect. Check out Coulter Dillon today, and let's get back to the show. Let's talk a little bit about protein requirements. You gave me a great segue there. This is something I want to talk about a little bit. So your recommendation is people need to eat more protein as they get older in order to trigger muscle protein synthesis since we lose since that ability kind of lessens as yeah. we age. Let's talk about protein requirements. I mean, there is the old, it's kind of become an old adage at this point where it's one pound or one gram of protein per pound of, of body weight. Obviously, protein requirements are going to vary even across athletes, even across active individuals, right? An IFBB pro bodybuilder is probably going to need a lot more protein relative to body weight than someone like me who's doing, you know, kettlebell sport or functional fitness training, right? What are some general guidelines that you might suggest to different types of individuals regarding protein intake? So, yeah, so we will start with the one gram you know, per pound, that's typically what I recommend as your minimum, right? And it's really an easy, it's easy math, you know, what do you weigh? Those are, you know, those are the grand, and, you know, and I started uh, incorporating that when I was at Muscle and Fitness back in the day when there was the, even before they would admit that athletes need more protein, then finally they would say, well, you know, the research shows that they need uh, 0.7 to 0.8 grams per pound. And I'm like, Okay, that's horrible math for most people. Let's just round that up to one and and it's close enough in most people. And then you started seeing them uh, admitting that, okay, in particular athletes like strength and power athletes, not endurance athletes, might even need more than 0.7 or point. You know, and if you look at you, do you know who um, Joey Antonio is in the International Society of Sports Nutrition at all? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So if you look at the you know the work that they've done and a lot of the research that's been published in their journal and their position stand, they admit you you may need to go up to one and a half grams per pound of body weight at, at particular times to get that response, and you know. There's a huge debate of whoa, high protein diets don't work. But and again, I'm bouncing, <laughs> again bouncing around here. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't have invited you on this podcast if I didn't expect to cover a broad range of topics. It's okay. Uh, uh, sorry, I, 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 I completely forgot now the topic that we were, uh, that we were on. Let's see, we were talking about a protein, protein, protein right? intake. Uh, <laughs> But I, but I was saying, if you look at the, the, like I said, the ice, and now they admit, you know, you need one and a half grams per pound of body weight, but a lot of the research that was sort of saying, you know, well, high protein diets 
aren't really necessary to build muscle. If you look at the research, well, the, the research is flawed. You know, the, this is the one thing I want to remind people on any topic is you cannot do a perfect study as a real research scientist there. You know, uh, I was, I was in the, you know, uh, Yale school of medicine, department of cellular molecular physiology with grant from, you know, the NIH doing real, you know, research. So trust me, when you do a study, you can bias a study. And also when you're looking at subjects, you can't, expect what college age males are going to respond to the same way that a trained uh, individual is. But the research shows that the reason that a lot of the research hasn't shown that high protein diets work is because they don't use enough protein. And there's something called protein spread, meaning that to see an adequate response from higher protein, the bump between either the baseline and then the high protein diet has to be big enough, right? Between the person or if there's a group that's on a low protein, they, it has to be, uh, you know, adequate enough. And none of the research studies, you know, you're talking about comparing 0.7 to 0.1, you know, like that's not, you know, that's not a, you know, per gram per pound of body weight. That's not a big enough, uh, a spread to see, uh, you know, real results. But if you look at the, the position stand from the International Society of Sports Nutrition, they'll tell you at least one and up to one and a half grams per pound of body weight for those who are interested in maximizing strength and muscle mass. Well, the good news is if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in maximizing strength and muscle yeah. mass. So it's a self, we, we got a self-selecting audience here. We can actually make some assumptions that might be unfair in other, right. in other outlets. I do want to talk a little bit about the current research climate. You mentioned a bit of a stereotype, which is, hey, a lot of these studies are done on like young college age males early on in their training careers or early on in their training history. Yeah, they're going to get different responses. I don't know about you, but I reacted to a lot of things differently when I was 19 years old. You know, I mean, yeah. whether it's a night out on the town or what I was eating, like you could get away with a lot more. What are some understudied populations when it comes to the impact of strength training, um, you know, muscle gaining, nutrition in this general sphere we're talking about, right? About getting stronger and building muscle mass. What are some of those understudied populations that if you had a magic wand, you could whip up, you just whip up, you know, a thousand studies on these groups? Well, I mean, it's highly trained, you know, it's the highly trained individual. Because again, you know, when we're looking at research on whether it's muscle hypertrophy or strength, a, a lot of times, it's not like a direct study because people aren't, the NIH isn't giving out grants to figure out how bodybuilders can get bigger arms. You know, that's, a, that's a, that's a, that's a real shame. I want my tax dollars to actually do something. Dr. You Stepani, know, like we're trying on. to like, you know, figure out how to cure diseases and, you know, and okay, and, fair, and, fine. So, you know, a lot of the, you know, the, a lot of the things that we take from uh, like protein uh, intake is from like burn victims, you know, like uh, the university of Texas medical branch, which has done a huge amount of uh, work with protein synthesis back in the day. Uh, Bob Wolf's lab. I'm not sure if you even know that name, but you know they that was a Shriners burn uh, ward, and that's where a lot of their subjects that came from. They were burn patients. So again, that's a you know a different response than say muscle, but it's still very similar, and we could glean things from that and take away things from that. But 
to be honest, like we don't know how muscle grows. We, you know, we know about muscle protein synthesis, but you know, there's things like micro RNAs that then break it all down after it was just built up. Why, you know, like why <laughs> those are, these are the things we don't understand. You know, we know a lot of the pathways, but the picture on, you know, muscle growth and just how the whole human body works is, is we're barely there. We're literally just scratching the surface now in 2022, you know? That's a really humbling revelation that I think a lot of for a lot of folks to hear, right? Like, hey, these are our bodies. We kind of assume that at this point in technological development and human advancement, like the thing that we understand is ourselves. Pardon my French, we don't know shit compared to what actually happens, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know because it just opens up more questions that we can't answer. How do you think the public I mean, this, and I ask you as someone who has been in this for a while, you've been on the research side, you've been a competitive bodybuilder, you've been an editor. I'm underselling your resume, even after listing off all these accomplishments and all these positions and roles that you filled over the years. How do you think the mainstream perception of strength training and strength development has changed over the past 20 years? Now, I ask a lot of people that I get a lot of folks pointing to CrossFit as something that has made strength training more mainstream, more accepted. People actually know what barbell training is now, or at least a lot more folks do. But I'm curious from your perspective, because you've also come at this from the publisher's standpoint. So you have those data points to see. Yeah. I, I mean, I started before there was really a real internet, you know, I mean, uh, it was like it, the internet was like two computers sending like literally faces yeah, back and forth. right. And, uh, I was at, you know, I was working, you know, doing books and magazines, muscle and fitness and flex magazine and, you know, bodybuilding.com was sort of just, you know, making a blip, you know, but I've, I've heard of them. I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been that so long that they came, I mean, they were huge and now no one even knows who they are basically. You know what I mean? Like times have changed so, uh, greatly due to the way we consume, you know what I mean? And, and sort of, you know, that's what these like publishers m make the mistake of doing is they think they're a magazine or a book publisher. It's like, no, you're a media, you are fitness media. You need to change with the way, or you're going to, you know, you're going to die. And when I was at muscle and fitness, I, I know this isn't the question you're asking. No, I'm still curious. I mean, look, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in this world. I'm curious. We loved bodybuilding.com because I didn't have to write, like imagine writing how to tie your shoe or just doing a video. <laughs> What's the easy, what's the what's the easier way to teach somebody that with a video, right? So finally we could take these, you know, like complex training things like how to do a deadlift, but you can't show in a still photos, you know what I'm saying? Like trying to teach somebody when to pull, when the, you know what I mean, how to set up and all that. Uh, and then Olympic lifting, you could not do in in a magazine, you know. I I would not do any Olympic um teaching in the magazine because it's impossible to do that you cannot it, it, you, you cannot expect the person to read photos and look at photos and read text and figure out how to do a clean and jerk you know like that that's not the you know that's not the medium for that video was and so you know we they told us we did, we couldn't do video because it would cannibalize the magazines um 
you know, and there was a big fight for that, but we really pushed to get like things like, you know, muscle, uh, musclefitness.com, uh, going and, 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 and that sort of thing. So, you know, the, the sport has changed, uh, like the fitness has changed because of how accessible information is now. So, and then in the sort of the way that it's perceived by the general population. Yes, definitely cross. I'm not sure we can say the word CrossFit now with all the legal, uh, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I'll say cross, uh, cross training or whatever, you know, but you know, that style of training, but really the CrossFit and the CrossFit boxes popping up all over the country and the world really, you know, mainstreamed Olympic lifting. You know, like no other. I mean, the the Olympics couldn't even do that. You know what I mean? People were, were were still Americans, at least in America. You know, you go to other countries, and Olympic weightlifters are heroes. Uh, you know, bigger than NFL stars in certain countries, but in 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 the United States, nobody wants to be a Olympic weightlifter until CrossFit sort of changed that, and you know, made it not just accessible, but also. Uh, made it fun. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not a person who does, you know, I do my own style of training. I don't, you know, do CrossFit or anything, but I'll, you know, you have to give them credit for making it a enjoyable way to exercise. You know, most people don't want to come in and do a set of squats and then rest two or three minutes <laughs> sitting around and then do, you know, that's, I, I, that sounds like a great day to me right? and a few other people, but for 99% of the population, hell no. <laughs> if that sounds appealing to, if you're listening to this and you're like, wait, is there a sport where I can do a couple sets of squats and I can take a long rest in between? Do I have the sport for you? It's called powerlifting. Right. Look it up. <laughs> and, and look, I, I will say if we're going to get, if anyone's going to get in trouble for using the word CrossFit on this broadcast, it's going to be, it's going to be me because the the head of PR and comms at CrossFit has my number. So if I get a call after this after this one goes live, that's good on luck. that's on me. You you're recused, Jim. <laughs> you're you're completely good. Let's talk about predictions moving forward for how people are going to consume fitness media in the next five years, the next ten years. How do you see that evolving? And look, I'm not. No one's going to hold anyone to predictions because ten years ago, who could have predicted? TikTok. Who could have predicted yeah. some of the things we have now? To be to be Social fair, those who in general, you know, those who did made a lot of money, right? That wasn't me. So, <laughs> <laughs> how's it going to evolve over the next decade? Great. I mean, it's a great question, uh, and I certainly don't have a crystal ball to predict it. But like I was saying back when when I was working in print, when and literally that's how people consumed before the internet even, you know. Uh, uh, the mistake that people make is being a magazine or a website or a uh, social media, you know, uh, channel. You, 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 it's. I don't know how it's going to change, but anybody who's listening, who is a you know influencer online or YouTuber or uh, has a similar barben, you know, dot com type of, you know, if you're out there putting out information on the fitness, you need to be flexible enough that you don't have to predict that changes, but as it's, as you see it happening, you need to roll, roll with it. You know, you definitely need to, to roll with it. You know, I, I, I had a, uh, uh, what was, what started, um, 
Oh God, I can't even remember. Twitter was the real, real, you know, first social media handle. I mean, you know, that sort of not Facebook, obviously, but really like, you know, Twitter sort of was the streamline, sort of finalized that streamline uh, version of what Facebook, what, you know what I mean? And what we sort of think of social media now, these quick sort of interactions. Um, but I had a, a Twitter before the muscle fitness did, you know, like, <laughs> because they didn't want them. They, they, they saw it as cannibalizing uh, what they were doing in print. And, and you can't think of it that way. You need to be print. You need, you know what I mean? You need to, I still do a book with uh, my publisher, human kinetics encyclopedia muscle and strength. Obviously there's a digital version of it, but we still put out, you know, the print version for those who still read, believe it or not, I can see some books behind you as a matter of fact, um, <laughs> you know, so you need to sort of be in all those spaces. So, Rather than, you know, figuring out and worrying about predicting it, I, I, my message would be more to sort of roll with it, uh, you know, and, and accept that change versus fighting it. I'm glad you called out these, these books, Jim, because uh, these are just ones I make sure to place in every backdrop when I'm doing a podcast. They're fake. I just want to seem smart. I just want to seem smarter. So I just surround myself. You'll come on in another like two months and there'll be just stacks and stacks of books behind me. It's all you'll be able to see. It makes, it makes me feel good. I appreciate you sharing that. And honestly, there are some answers that guests will give on this podcast. And I feel like they're talking to our audience. And there are some answers where I feel like they're talking directly to me. And as the CEO of Barbend, I feel like you're talking directly to me. So I'm going to take some notes. And this is one I'm going to go back and listen to to maintain <laughs> that flexibility. <laughs> where is the best place for people, the best places, I should say, because you are a flexible media brand yourself. You're, you're the man and the brand in many ways. Where are the best places for people to follow along with the work you're doing? Um, training research you do involved with all that good stuff yeah i mean obviously facebook uh instagram tiktok you know all the typical uh places you can find me so <laughs> appreciate that <laughs> and you know and of course i've got jimstepani.com uh as well which is my member uh based site where you know all the programs and that works with my app and whatnot He's, he's fully integrated, folks. I'm actually just going to start following what Jim Stepani's doing, and that's what Barbin's going to be doing about four months four months behind. So you you, you take my word for that. Uh, Dr. Stepani, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. I know we covered a broad range of topics. That was my goal. I love hearing what you have to say about a litany of things. I appreciate you sharing some of your experience and insight. Well, I appreciate you uh, asking the questions and the interest. So thank you so much. <laughs>